Everybody got seats. Fantastic. Um, it's lovely to see uh, you all. Um, JJ shared earlier about the pod of dolphins, and I'm sure you, we might not have dolphins, but we got uh, polar bears out in the snow um, playing here up in Hillcrest, so you know what's better. And uh, we were supposed to have, we are having our newcomers brunch afterwards, we were supposed to have it in the lovely sunshine in the garden, but it's very bits out there, so we're going to have it in here. So if you have signed up for that, or to be honest, if you new here this morning, we've had a couple of people who aren't able to make it, and so we have some extra brunch. If you just want to stick around and meet some people, it's very agenda light, but Gazza says that if we run out of food, he'll run across and buy you a sausage roll or something from the garage. So stick around if that's you. Um, if you're not new, if you're already plugged in, then please go outside in the cold and suffer out there and freeze and shake because we're going to have new people in here um, just sharing a little bit with them. Is that all right? Okay, cool. Um, great to see you all. Uh, we kick off this week um, with our Daniel series, and I'm really excited for an incredible book of the Bible. And we have lots of ways to try and help this go deeper than, than just Sunday. So if that's something that interests you, um, here's a few ways. One, there's a digital uh, devotion, a daily devotion, a reading plan for um, grown-ups um, that you can uh, find on our social media pages later today or on our WhatsApp group. If you got caught out this morning by the 8.30 service, sorry about that. Please jump on our WhatsApp group. It's not spammy, and we'll be able to let you know when our services change. Next week's 8.30 again, and then we're back to 2 morning services after the school holidays. So we've got that um, digital devotional for um, grown-ups. We've also got a family devotional um, that uh, each family gets one of these. You can grab it at Kids Church. And um, this has got um, a little bit of like spaces to draw and some pictures. So maybe some of you grown-ups would prefer this one, like a word search for Daniel and stuff. But uh, please do grab these. If we run out, we'll print more um, during the week. And then lastly, um, you know, the story of Daniel is such a fantastic narrative about how to live as followers of God on earth, but there's this kind of other layer to it, this kind of spiritual dimension. If that's something that you're interested in, from the middle of October, we're going to be running a, a, a four-week um, spiritual warfare course, so you can sign up outside on the info desk. Those are all the ways that you can um, jump in and enjoy this Daniel series a little bit more, but otherwise, I'll pray and then kick us off with uh, chapter one this morning, if that's all right. God, we thank you so much that we have a God who speaks and who loves to speak, that we have your word, that we have these stories that um, are wonderful and historic, but also powerfully relevant for today. And God, we just remind ourselves that um, our minds sit under the authority of your word, that our hearts and souls are submitted to the power and authority of Jesus, that if you want to speak and correct something in us or encourage us or remind us of something, God, we sub our ways of thinking and feeling below yours because yours are higher and better and more beautiful. And so please come and speak to us this morning through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In the next few weeks, um, we're going to be looking at um, the God who is with us in the fire next week. Um, after that, how does Daniel teach us about how to live a life of influence? How do you actually get promoted and influence the world around you like Daniel did? How is God our consistent rescuer? And then lastly, how do we live prophetically with an understanding of not just where we are, but where we are going and what God is doing? Because you need all of those things to be able to follow God in a largely um, godless world. So before I read chapter one this morning, um, some of the names there are a little bit foreign to us. So I've designed a little key card to help us this morning, not to undermine the Bible, but because we don't often use these names, I just try to give us some names that are a little bit more familiar and contextualized. So Dion will pop up the key up there. Um, is Kim, okay? <clears throat> Nebuchadnezzar or Nebuchadnezzar is Chad, 
um, Ashpenaz is Ash, and then Cyrus, the king, is Cyril. You'll find out soon. Is Cyril a good king? Isn't Cyril a good king? Um, nothing, no mixed metaphors there, not trying to suggest anything. But uh, let's read um, about Daniel's training in Babylon from Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Kim, the king of Judah, another king, Chad, the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord delivered Kim, the king of Judah, God's people, into the king of Babylon's hands, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These the king then carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the house of his God. Then the king of Babylon ordered Ash, the chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of those Israelites from among the royal family and the nobility. They were young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing an aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. They sound like real head boy types, right, these, these youngsters. Um, Ash was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from his own table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to then enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen from Judah, named Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief then gave them new Babylonian names. To Daniel, he called him Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food from the king's table. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel But the official said to Daniel, I'm afraid of the Lord, my king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see see you looking worse than the other men from your age, young men? The king would then have my head because of you. So Daniel said to the guard who the chief official had appointed over Daniel and his friends, why don't you test your servants for 10 days? Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink, and then compare our appearances with that of the young men who are eating the royal food and drinking the royal wine. Treat your servants in accordance with what you see then. So he agreed to this, and he tested them out for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. Take that, Tim Noakes. Vegetables are fantastic. <laughs> so the God took away the choice food and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of those three years, the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to King Chad. The king talked with them, and he found no one else equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, so they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyril. This is God's word to us this morning. Cool story. Hey, lots going on there. Um, Some background here as we go into the next five weeks or so of Daniel. How do you and I prepare our hearts and minds to maximize what God might be saying and doing? And I think there's kind of three things that we need to do. Um, We need to understand the story, 
and what's going on in the story. So maybe you can chuck that slide up there, please, um, Dion. How do we engage well? We understand the story. We need to know what's actually happening. What are these funny names? What do they mean? Isn't there a lion and a fiery pit? Why, where does all that happen? What does it mean? We need to understand uh, the literacy and, and understand what's going on. Secondly, we need to find God in the story, the most important thing. Where is the king of heaven and earth? Where is his kingdom? What's going on? What is God doing in this story? And then finally, how do we find ourselves in the story? God, what are you showing me about my life here on earth? And so let's start with understanding the story and knowing what Daniel is doing a little bit. Um, If you're familiar with some of the Old Testament writings, which Daniel is, you'll know that it's broken down into different kinds of writings. So although it all fits in the Bible, there's different ways that it is written and different ways that it should be read in order to understand what God is actually doing. Now, many people think Daniel is a prophet. He lived in prophetic times. But the book of Daniel actually fits into this category called the writings. It's written in two different languages, and it has two quite distinctive different things happening. It changes gear into the second half of the book. Those two things that the book of Daniel is doing is, first of all, it's a historic look at things that actually happened. It's a narrative and stories of things that happened to these people. But then it changes gear into what we call a prophetic or apocryphal book, looking at how we can understand the kingdom of God for all times with these metaphors and big revelatory language. And that part of the book really helps us understand some of the New Testament, like the ending of Mark and Matthew, like the book of Revelation, like somewhere in Thessalonians as well. And we need to be biblically literate to make sure that when we're reading certain parts, we understand what we are reading. And I was trying to think of an analogy to help drive this home. So did anyone here take history at school or uni or college? Give me a little wave if you did some history. Okay, fantastic. So imagine in history, you're studying the Elizabethan, did I say that right? The Elizabethan era. I added an R for some reason. You can look at that and go, well, what was the furniture like? What were the laws going on in the time? What was the architecture? What was the culture and customs of the day? You can actually look back historically to understand what was going on in that era. And then you can also read Shakespeare, right, which was written in that time. But here's the thing. Shakespeare might help you understand the metaphors and culture of what was going on in the day, but you shouldn't read Shakespeare like a history book, right? And you shouldn't read the history book like Shakespeare. Daniel has historical stories, and then Daniel changes into this prophetic kind of language. And this is really important because Daniel is a very divisive book in Christianity. It gets used by people against each other, even within Christianity, and it sometimes can become a little bit of a distraction that the author and that God is not actually trying to do. It's not like this cryptic crossword puzzle where if we can figure out the second half of Daniel, we'll know exactly when Jesus is coming back and exactly which kingdom and exactly what the historic things are going on means. I always like to say everybody in the Old Testament thought they knew when the Messiah was coming and they had all these predictions and no one, no one predicted when Jesus was coming. He arrived a little bit like a surprise and he will come back like a little bit of a surprise, but we should live like it's tomorrow all the time. Does that make sense? It's not a jigsaw puzzle. It is a wonderful lens, a fantastic interpreting lens to understand what is happening, not just in the book of Daniel, but happening around the world today and happening in South Africa and happening in our own community. It's a brilliant lens to help us know how to live accurately and historically, but how to live with this beautiful prophetic lens as well. Is that making sense? Okay, so the macro question of Daniel is this. How does the kingdom of God work when it seems like the kingdoms of earth are winning? Like, when it seems like evil is winning, death is winning, brokenness is winning, when it feels like darkness is everywhere, how does the kingdom of God actually work and thrive? Like, how do you have 
love and grace and beauty and truth in a world that feels like it's full of hate and anger and depravity and half-truths? How does the kingdom of God actually work and help us? How does a good, loving, powerful God stay in control when it seems like things are chaotically out of control? And that's a helpful thing to know, right, for the way we live. Macro question is that. And things are bad in Daniel chapter 1, right? The people and the very place and promises of God are plundered. And it looks like they're almost going to get wiped out. Like when the enemy is not just in the city, but in the temple, taking out the artifacts from the Holy of Holies and into their pathetic God's temple. You must know the people of God are like, this is, this is, my, is this the end? Is this the end times? Is this God wiping out his people and his promise? What is actually going on here? It was hopeless on a massive scale. So that's the macro question. How does the kingdom of God work when things seem so bad? The micro question for us is, how does a, a godly person, and when I say that, I don't mean a holier-than-thou monk. I mean someone who is called and loved and chosen and qualified by God, who's saved by God. How do we respond in those situations? in a way that is God-honoring and powerful. And so through the book, we'll see Daniel and his friends going really through these massive seasons and ups and downs because you'll see Daniel and his friends get applauded and promoted and boasted about they're 10 times better than anyone in my kingdom. They loved and shown favor, and then they're in a fiery furnace threatened with death, and then they're in a pit with a lion. And so in the course of their lives, they go through these incredible earthly ups where Everyone's applauding them and going, look at them, and these incredibly earthly downs where they're like, well, we hope God saves us. We think he will, but if he doesn't, we're, de we're dead. That's it. In your lifetime, I would suggest that, um, like Daniel and his friends, sometimes there'll be the applause of man and promotion, and wow, this is amazing. Um, sometimes we'll get forgotten about by what seems like decades, like Daniel and his friends. Other times we'll feel like we are ourselves in the furnace or in the pit. How can this possibly be what God wants for us? How can this be a blessing? And you know what? It won't just be you. It'll be the church you belong to and your faith. I don't know if you've noticed this, but in your lifetime, the church will be applauded for being like this bastion of human rights and on the forefront of equality and goodness and kindness. And it's like, church, how do we learn from you about education and love and all that? And the whole world seems to applaud why you believe amazing things. And then a little bit more like the things are going now. Hey, why are you so bigoted? Why are you so conservative? Why are you so narrow-minded? Why are you so old-fashioned? And the way you think. The church in your life will be very much applauded and very much critiqued. Your faith and your Jesus will be very much applauded and very much critiqued. Our call and the story of Daniel is not to respond wrongly to other. Not to give too much emphasis to the applause of man when they're applauding. But also not to give in to the critique of man, to the criticism of man. How do we hold the line of faith and grace and love in every season? Because of what Jesus has called us to, not because of how the people are responding. If they respond well, that's great. If they respond badly, that's great. Now, what's interesting is I don't know that too many of us, unless God calls us elsewhere or unless things change drastically here, will face um, physical immediate harm and death for our belief. Like you might if you're a Christ follower in Turkey or an underground church in China where there is this real physical uh, overt oppression in your face, right? We face something slightly different, maybe a little bit like um, early on in Daniel's life. Later on, they face physical death. Earlier on, they face this interesting covert culture where the enemy isn't trying to wipe them out. It's, he's trying to assimilate them and make them respond so much to the applause of man that they let go of holding the line of faith and truth and become like the culture. So we don't want to over-respond to either. Does that make sense? Okay, so what do we see from reading Daniel chapter 1 this morning? Well, it starts off with God 
handed them over to the king of Babylon. Sure. Interesting theology, hey? I'm glad I don't have to answer that question this week. Grant, you can sort that out next week, okay? Two approaches that kings had, as I've alluded to. Some kings went for extermination. We take over the world by just killing. Get the healthiest of them and kill them, and maybe we can use some of the weak or sickling to support us and to work for us. Uh, That's extermination. The other approach that this king had was assimilation. Get the best of the best, the royal, the most healthy, the most handsome. Um, and I, I thought, let, let me do this one this morning because you'll be looking at going, oh, that's, that's kind of what Daniel probably looked like. Why are you laughing? Um, get them and teach them and show them and give them our food and give them our training, give them our names and assimilate them because then we'll be stronger for it. So this is what is going on there. And I think what's happening a little bit to us um, and hey, this assimilation is sad, right? There's the, the, these things from the temple are not just little artifacts. They, they're kind of sacraments. They represent the provision of God and the promises of God and the presence of God. And those things are taken away from their most holy place. And they're taken away from their land. And they're taken away from their families. And they're thrown into this training for three years. But here's the thing. He didn't offer them um, a horrible life, right? He offered them a really good life, a really blessed life, the king's food. The king's company, the king's training, the king's literature, and an opportunity to work quite closely in the courts of the king. This is a good life that we are invited to. And similarly, I think often our challenge of the enemy and our challenge of the kingdom of earth is not this. In some ways, it might be easier if someone put a gun or a sword to my head and said, if you say you're following Jesus, that's it. That would be a little bit clarifying because it's like, well, how can I ever deny him for what he's done? But when it's subtle assimilation, hey, why don't you come train in our ways of thinking? Why don't you try our means of success. Why don't you just try the culture of this earth? You might actually like it. It's a really, really good life. And so we get assimilated into the ways of this world. We get kind of incorporated into the culture around us. And there's these um, subtle cultural promises that get made that lead to half-truths in our thinking. So I'm going to list some of them off here and not for anyone to feel judged because I've thought of a bunch of these in my time, but they aren't fully true. So things like this, right? The modern-day Western theology is this. God helps who? Those who help themselves, right? Isn't that true? Just, you know, get up and go do something. Well, actually, God helps the helpless who can't help themselves and who desperately need him and reach out to him, and he reaches out and plucks us out of nowhere. That's actually the gospel. And I know that, but I get slightly assimilated, and well, no, maybe I need to go and make the thing happen, and then that'll be God's blessing. Or how about this one? You know, wisdom says... I forgive you once, but the second time, man, shame on me if I forgive you again. So then I just cut you off, right? Which is exactly what Jesus tells us to do. How many times should I I forgive my brother? One times one, right, he says? No, 70 times seven, over and over again. Isn't that foolish? Isn't that stupid? How can you possibly let people walk over you like that? Uh, A little bit assimilated into the culture's way of thinking. God's blessing is represented by a good life, right? Health and wealth. And provision equals God's blessing. And if I don't have it, man, I just need to get God's blessing and then I'll have those things, right? Or consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of every kind in every season. Sure, are we a little bit assimilated? Am I a little bit assimilated? You know, uh, this building's fine, but nature's my church, right? Like getting out of the ends of the birds, that amphitheater, that is the temple for me. Not a bad thing, Right? But it's quite hard to follow God when you don't really like his wife or his kids, which we get called in Scripture. 
This is church. That's a beautiful representation of God's creation. Yo, that person over there, they are an unbelievable leader in business or in the community. If they became a Christian, they would be such a good Christian, right? Because they're so influential. Because that's who God wants to use, right? Like if Taylor Swift and Justin Bieber just became Christians, that would be the power for the kingdom of God, right? That would be the thing that he's longing for. Or he uses the foolish of this world and he uses the weak of this world to bring glory to himself. Are we a little bit assimilated into the culture's way of thinking? Last one. Preach to people always and when necessary, use words, right? Oh, wow. Is that true? Preach the gospel always. In every season, be ready always for an answer to the hope that you've proclaimed. And in fact, they, the guy that they said said that didn't actually say that. The saint, it's not a great theology, it's a half truth. And here's the thing, we're not trying to make anyone feel judged. I've thought of at least half of those. But I think it's really hard when the culture is so inviting. Here's how you get ahead in business. Here's how you have successful kids by going to this kind of preschool and then that kind of primary school and then that kind of high school and that kind of uni. That is the road to blessing and providence and success. And it's very hard not to get assimilated into the culture around us. A blend of God and a blend of culture so that we don't jar too much. Because to be honest, it's quite nice getting the applause of the king. It's quite nice eating that food and drink. But it doesn't set us up for the seasons that are ahead. So how do we carry on in the story to see how this actually happens? Can you say something out loud with me? We're going to read together on the screen and as soon as it pops up here. So thanks, John. Can we read this? God alone can judge me. He will vindicate me. He is gracious to me. There is no one like our God. He is my help. Beautiful theology, hey? Beautiful little thing to stand on. Those are what the names of those four young men mean in Hebrew. Now, at the beginning, I changed the names because it doesn't really matter. But to these guys, this was more than just a story of these friends. This was their identity and their belief, the thing that they were rooted in, not just a name, but an identity and a promise given to me by God. He alone will judge me and vindicate me. doesn't matter what the king says or does. He is gracious to me. There's no one like him. He is my help. So when at the beginning of the story, the first thing they do is to change their names, what they're trying to do there is go, how can we over time shift their identity from a belief and trust in God into a belief and trust in our earthly way of thinking. And so what do their new names mean? Well, their new names mean um, Bel will protect me. Bel is the king of the land. Um, Aku will inspire me. Aku is their moon god. And Nebo or Nigo is their earthly wisdom god. So how do we shift them from total dependence and reliance on God to depending on creation and the king and what they see around them. They're not horrible names, right? These are not ugly names. It's still an invitation to a good life. Like the king's not calling them like Judas and Adolf and Lennon um, kind of thing. Uh, uh, Vlad Lennon, not John Lennon, although, you know. Um, the kingdom of earth doesn't always promise us a dud. It actually offers us its version of the good life. But it says, hey, God's wisdom is fine, but why don't you try and pick up our provision and our blessing and our earthly life. But what's amazing is they hold to their identity. And so whereas elsewhere in Scripture we see Saul becoming poor and a whole lot of stories like that with this new identity, they keep getting referred to by their Hebrew names throughout the story. They hold to their identity. And their response, and Daniel in particular, their response to the attempted assimilation by the king is amazing. And it'll pop up here as we go back to that Scripture. Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. 
I don't know if you think about how you would respond to this story, how you and your friends or family would be if you were taken into that court. And I like to think I would respond um, pretty well. Um, maybe I would go, no, I don't want to uh, eat your food and I don't want to change my identity. But I think our earthly reaction is often to kick back and to go violent and aggressive, like grab that sword, cut off that ear, kick back and go to the death, fight against the assimilation. And we see this response a lot. As the church comes under criticism, as the kingdom of God seems to be under attack, we want to ban books and we want to get those people out of here and we want to get very angry marriages under attack. We need to fight back. And there's an element of truth about our spiritual wrestle. But look at Daniel and his friend's response. He asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself. Isn't that beautiful? I'm not going to be assimilated, but I'm not going to be aggressive. I'm going to trust in what God's doing, and I'm going to find peace through gracious, gentle request. He asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself, and God caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. It's beautiful. Who causes that change in the applause of man, the promotion? God causes that. What do we do? We ask respectfully and graciously. Uh, please, if you're afraid, test your servants for 10 days. He gives an opportunity to meet that God in the middle. And at the end of 10 days, they looked healthy and better nourished. And to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds. And then eventually, where do they end up? The king is talking to them, finding none to be their equal because they were not assimilated into culture, but they were also not looking back aggressively. And so they enter the king's service and get used beautifully in every season, as we'll see in the next few chapters. So coming into land a little bit this morning, what's our role? What's our invitation? Hold that beautiful line of faith and grace and love. Don't be so pulled into the culture that you look exactly the same, but don't feel the need to kick back in your own strength. God, who have you named me? What have you called me to? What does it look like to be loving and gracious and respectful, even in the courts of the enemy king, even in the jail cell, even in the pits? God's role is he will promote, he will provide, He will make the way in his timing. And the result will be, hey, sometimes you'll be in front of a king influencing them and maybe changing policies. And other times you might be overlooked for a decade or two. That's all right because God is still with you. And our ability, their ability to trust God and know their identity and respond with grace is the thing that helped them in the good seasons and in the bad seasons. Their names might have changed, but their identity and purpose didn't, and God gave them gentleness with their great strength and wisdom with that favor, and it's a mistake for us to look to the kings of this earth to be the ones who promote us and protect us. God will promote in his time, and to be honest, God will allow the kingdoms of earth to seem to be winning sometimes, but they don't. They don't. And our lives as Christ followers will involve Seasons of the king and seasons that seem like the pit or the furnace, and he will be with you in both. Our job is to know the king, to trust him, know our identity, and respond with that beautiful, gracious wisdom and strength. And then lastly, our job is to upgrade our earthly skills. Have you noticed they don't oppose learning? They don't oppose honing their skills because, hey, when God promotes, I want to have the earthly skills to go along with that heavenly blessing. When they, when, he, when they put me in front of the king, I want to have discernment to know the dreams, but I also want to be able to solve logical puzzles and be a help to the people that God puts in my way. So we can, we can hone our earthly skills, but we receive that promotion from God. 
So I want to ask you if you can just say yes or no for me, if you really believe this this morning. Was God's favor on Daniel and his friends? Absolutely. Was God's favor on Daniel when he was in training for those three years? Is God's favor on Daniel when he's interpreting for the king and getting boasted about as ten times better? Is God's favor on Daniel when he's in the fiery furnace? And it is God's favor on Daniel when he's in the pit with the lion. Okay, and it's true for you, right? And it's true for me. He's with us in the fire. He's with us in the water. He's with us in the pit. And he's with us in the courts of the king. Can we stand and pray together as we bring this into land this morning? If you're comfortable just to stretch out your hands and receive a gift from God this morning. God, we thank you that you are our creator and our king. That you are the one who promotes. That you are the one who causes blessing. And you are the one who causes us to be okay in those seasons that are hard. That you open doorways to influence. That you give us discernment and wisdom. And that our job is to trust you and to hone our skills. God, we pray for peace and for clarity and for a gentle strength in the middle of a kingdom around us that often will applaud us, but at the moment seems to be quite despising our Jesus and our faith and our belief. But we thank you that we can hold to that beautiful line of grace and love and truth in every season of our lives. We pray your blessing as we go out into the rest of today. In Jesus' name, amen.